So it's 10 o'clock at the back there. Is that right, Steve? Okay. Um, sometimes my long, uh, you know, seeing far off doesn't work that well. So for me, it looks like 9 o'clock. So in the short seven hours we have today, I'm going to ask you to go to Luke chapter 10. And uh, at the same time, go to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to find just one or two scriptures. We'll just pick any one. We've got to go to the Bible at some stage. So we'll start there. Otherwise, it doesn't look good. And uh, Steve did say to me, this time I've got to preach from the Bible. So I'm going to do that. I must say, being back in Durban is always good and bad. Um, It's kind of like for me, when the sharks play the stormers, uh, you know, I can never lose because I'm a shark and a stormer. <laughs> so I'm a stormer who's grown a fin. And um, so coming back here, coming to the heat is always a major trial. But coming back here to Steve and Janet and uh, just great, great friends, people that we really love and we connect with. Um, Steve, it's always lacquer being here. And I'm always amazingly blessed how when I come back here, the people are still here. (laughs) (laughs) You too. All right. Are you in Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10 and Matthew 14. We'll go to Luke first. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, why don't you just quickly sit next to a Christian and um, you can look into their Bible. It's going to offend someone. I just know it. eh? Luke chapter 10 verse 19 says, this is Jesus speaking, and Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to walk. Don't you say walk? So he's given us authority the lawful, legal right to walk. So everything God's going to do in and through you is going to take place as you walk. When you don't walk, a lot doesn't happen. You might notice that. Go with me now to Matthew 14. In Matthew 14 from verse 22, let's just pick it up over there. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Please notice the word is made. These guys were probably exhausted at that time. And um, I love it when people look at the ministry, Steve, and say, Oh, we want to be in the ministry because it's just preaching on Sunday. If you've seen what the disciples went through, you can see why he had to make them get into the boat. They probably wanted to go to sleep. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go, there f- and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, so this is early hours of the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Won't you say walking? I don't know about you, but when last did you see someone walk on water? Not only that, but the Bible says that there was a storm. 
So whenever I had this picture in my mind of Jesus walking on the water, I kind of always saw like a lake. You know, he's walking along on flat water. I would, I, when I get to heaven, one of the first questions I've got is, were you like up and down on the waves? Or how did you do this thing? Because that, that, that's just me. And so he's walking, and um, verse 20, 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, they were terrified, and they shouted, there's a spook. And they cried out in fear. And, uh, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, cool it, chill, it's just me. Okay, that's my version. And he says, don't be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now that word me in the Greek can equally be rendered us. So, there are 12 disciples on the boat looking over like this. They see Jesus walking on the water. And so they all are now talking to each other. They are terrified. They are saying, is this a ghost? What's going on? And Peter shouts out. He says, Jesus, if that's you, can I come to you? And everyone around him heard it. So when Jesus said yes, it wasn't just yes to Peter. It was equally yes to everyone. Twelve men could have walked on the water that day. Only one did. And the sad truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that today, that statistic has probably not changed much. You see, the boat represents symbolically the church. The waters, the sea, speaks of symbolically masses of unsaved humanity. So we get born again and we get taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we get put into the boat, into the church. We are part of the elected ones. God's put us aside. And then Jesus says, I want you to go into the world. The Great Commission, Matthew 28 verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. Please notice in this story that Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus was outside of the boat. And the disciples inside of the boat or the church look out and they say, can we come to you? In other words, can we do that which you are doing? And only one jumps out. Only one walked on the water. I believe the word in my heart for this church at this time is that God wants this church to start walking. Do you need to come to church? Yes. Do you need to be committed to church? Absolutely. I believe with the teaching you get here, those things are established. I believe that's a given. But how many of you, if you've got to be honest, something in your heart says there's got to be more? I love church. Nothing has hurt me more than church. So let me just balance this out. I'm, I don't have blinkers on. Oh, I just love the church. No, I, I've been hurt badly. But I'm still mad about the church. Because the church is the body. Jesus is the head. How can you love the head without the body? It's like me saying, well, I dig your face, but your body really stinks. You can't love the one without the other. So I'm mad about the church. The church 
in terms of a local church. We need to be a part of that. Therein lies the hope of the world. But can you imagine on a Sunday, after everyone's got together in the form of a local church, you now disperse. You don't just leave, but you start walking on the water. You start doing the things Jesus did. When you go out, you go out more powerful than any anointed pastor or preacher you've ever seen standing here. Imagine if the power of God you've seen displayed from this pulpit could rest upon you from Monday right through to Saturday. I believe we would call that the normal Christian life. I believe we've settled for so much less than what our inheritance is. How many of you, with all honesty, could say, my life currently, truly, is the abundant life the Bible speaks about? Not a lot. Where is abundance in our life? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a sense of, on the inside of you, you just can't believe how good life is. How many, of you, how many of you have got that? Your life is just absolutely incredible. How many of you can imagine... Let me go over here so the folks in the cheap seats can hear too. <clears throat> you guys came late this morning. <laughs> how many of you can imagine the thing that you love doing most? Do you know that stuff that is your absolute passion? And it can be anything. That thing that when you do it, you just love it to bits. That thing that when you do it, you forget about eating. That thing that when you do it, the world just disappears because you love it so much. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine if you could do that every day and get paid well for it? How many of you would like a life like that? I have one like that now. And you can too. I do not stand here this morning as a pastor or as an, as an apostle or a prophet or whatever you want to call it. Today I stand here as a normal Christian. I have been a pastor for sort of 13 years, I think it was. But two and a half years ago, I was released from the church that I was a part of. His people, I just want to mention that. We weren't kicked out. We were released with their blessing. We were up on a stage. They prayed for us and released us. Because something grew in my heart. I wanted more. Now, I didn't leave the church to get the more. I was still connected to the church. But I knew that the more didn't lay inside the church. The more I was looking for lay outside there. You want to encounter the glory and the power of God? You probably won't encounter it here. Because it's not needed here. But you go to where the lost are. You go to where the Muslims are. You go into corporates. Where if God doesn't give you a word of wisdom or a prophetic word, you're going to look like an idiot. That's where you'll find the power of God move. And so really what I want to do this morning, what I feel impressed by the Lord to do, is really just take a short time to tell you briefly about the last two and a half years of my life. It's not because I'm a superhero I've made lots of mistakes. Trust me, I'm no, I don't glow in the dark. But I do love Jesus. And I'm mad about people. And the one thing, one of the things that matters to me so deeply is that people don't just wander through life 
not having any clue why they are here. And so two and a half years ago, in fact, even before that, this thing began to grow in my heart. There's got to be more. And I remember sitting in the front row of a church, um, and it was my turn to preach. I was on the verge of getting up. I looked around. There were about 4,000 people. I was going to preach, so I'm the man. This is the top of my game. And I just, I couldn't shake the feeling something's, something's missing. You know what it's like to preach to the same people all the time, and they still don't do anything? I know this doesn't happen in this church, but in other churches, that sometimes happens. And so, as I was sitting there, a thought came to me that I now believe was the Lord Jesus speaking to me. And the thought was simply this. If I don't learn another thing about God or the Bible, other than that which I already know, but I simply take that which I currently know to people who've never heard I know I can change their world. So my question to you this morning is what is it that you know that can change the worlds of people out there? Take a moment. What is it you know? If you've been in church long enough, you know how to forgive. You know how grace works. To you and to us in church, it's normal. I've sat with people in the last two and a half years who don't understand the concept of forgiveness. They've never used grace in an actual sentence in a conversation. Most of us sit in churches like this saying, we will never go out to the lost because we don't know enough. Honey, if you don't learn anything other than what you already know, you've already got enough to change the worlds of people. And so as I began to wait on the Lord for a seven-year period, something grew in my heart called the Anything is Possible Foundation. I believe with all my heart anything is possible. A life that is marked by the sentiment of anything is possible is a life of adventure. And so long story short, we were released from the church we were a part of, and I went to start the Anything is Possible Foundation. We went from being a part of a big church I had a very good salary to the literally the next month, which was June, so, which was September. I went from a big salary to the next month having no income, period. We just had a little girl, our lot Lamaki, and we just bought a house with the biggest bond we've ever had. And it wasn't just a, a rough, reckless jump. We spent 10 months praying and seeking God, making sure that this was God. And so the first couple of months we spent, you know, the savings we had, we used that because I thought we would start the thing. I'm going to do seminars, we're going to do conferences, I will do one-on-one coaching, and, the, and really what we're going to focus on is helping people to find their purpose. So God had called me, we knew it was, there had been lots of confirmations. So I thought, Steve, the first seminar we do, there will be three, four hundred, the money will just ching, 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 come flying in, it will be the glory of God, there will be lots of appointments, please come and speak here and there. Sixty-seven people arrive at the first seminar. The next one, twenty-four. The third one, thirteen. And the fourth one, no one. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I get into my car and I'm driving home praying. Yeah. 
Where are you tonight? Ever, ever been there? I was now in a place where I've got to place a demand upon what God has promised me here. It's no longer good enough to just read this, and if it doesn't happen, well, that's okay. I'm now in a place where I've got, my faith has got to place a demand upon truth, because my future depends upon it. I need this to work, and I need it to work now. And so it wasn't too long before the money stopped flowing in. We had sold what we could sell to get going. And there was nothing. Isn't this, maybe that's a sign this is not God. I mean, isn't it true that if God's in it, it'll all work out? I love meeting Christians. If God's in it, it'll all just work out, brother. Tell Moses that when he went to Pharaoh. Nine occasions he walks away and it hasn't worked out. It's got worse. And so Mary and I, my wife, began to say, Lord, well, have we missed it? And you know, when the Lord's silent, you just know he said, Honey, I've spoken to you. Nothing's changed. The one particular evening, at five past eight, my wife walked into the lounge. She had put our little girl to sleep. I was telling Steve this this morning. She tapped me on the shoulder and she said... "Um, there's 5,000 rand left in our bank account. I said, I don't worry. We've got an overdraft facility. It'll be okay. She said, that is the overdraft facility. Oh, it was like ice water going through my veins. You start thinking into the future, thinking, how am I going to pay the boys' school fees? What, what, what happens if I can't pay the bond? And fear just comes knocking at the door of your heart in a big way. You know what that feels like. So I get up, take my wife's hand, switch the TV off, because now all I want to do is just go to sleep. Just stop the life. Just press pause. And on the way to our bedroom, in conversation, we just said, Jesus, if this is you, we need you to come through. It wasn't really even a prayer. That night, I used my cell phone as an alarm clock, and two SMSs came in during the night. Both delayed SMSs from APSA Bank. Two deposits had been made during the course of that night. When I woke up the next morning, there was 36,000 rand in our our bank. For two and a half years, we've had no salary. It's only growing now. And the God who promised you He will meet all of your needs is currently and has been meeting all of my needs for the last two and a half years. Does that make me the super Christian? Like every month I start getting this hollow in my stomach. Oh, God, what's happening? Please, I've had the thought, just get a job. Get a job, it'll be fine. Just take the worry away. Because standing in faith isn't standing in some kind of euphoric, you know, like, oh, it's all fine, God's with me. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind, but it does nothing for your flesh. Think about that. Your flesh wants to know where the stuff's coming from. And, you know, God can, you know, money could come through one month or maybe two months, and that could be fluke. Two and a half years. Remember Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, he took up the scroll of Isaiah in the temple and he said, he read the scriptures and he put it down and he said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
I can take Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 that Paul says, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory. I can take that scripture and I can confidently say, Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in my life. Letting go of a salary was a massive thing. Now, you don't just do it because you want to look cool as a Christian. Obviously, I'm assuming there's wisdom that you're going to exercise. Obviously, you're going to wait on God. Obviously, you're going to have other mature Christians praying with you and giving you a confirmation. But I'm telling you, the God who said He will provide, He actually literally does. When it came to coming here today, um, and Steve and I were talking about coming up, we never had the money for it. And I knew in my heart that we must, I, I don't want to put any burden on the church whatsoever. And um, three days ago, the tax man sends me an email. And I've got a refund of about two and a half, 2,550 rand. I'd like it to be a lot more. But, and I looked at this figure and the first thought that went through my mind is, I wonder what this is for. My wife went online to book two airline tickets for my son and I to come here, and guess what it cost? My God supplies all of my need, all of the time. I was singing one of the old songs the other day, you know that um, Jehovah Jireh, how's the song go? My provider, his grace is sufficient. And as I'm singing, someone said to me, yeah, those are old songs, I've got to teach you some new ones. (laughs) I won't mention who it was. But you know what? When God comes through, you can't help it because it's a living, current reality. With no salary, I've been to Europe. With no salary, our TV gets stolen. Or our TV breaks down. And so we take it to the shop and now we're thinking, well, do we have it repaired? Do we rent one or do we buy another one? Because it's difficult to make a choice like that when you've got no budget. If you've got nothing, you can't budget anything. It's quite... So before that, the Lord had said to me, you know, Peter jumped out of the boat and he walked on water. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, Gavin, how far would you walk if you could walk on water? How far away from the boat would you walk? And I sensed the Lord saying to me, well, trust me, put your faith out there. So I said to Mary, honey, I believe we need to buy a new TV. And in my mind, it was a new TV, but the same kind of one we had. Mary says, yo, we must get one of those big flat drawn things. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness. And I realize I've walked on the water a bit. But she's doing and gone. She's walked so much further. So we go down to the shop and we're looking at the things. And I'm looking at the prices. And she says, this one looks great. I believe we must take this one. 13,000 bucks. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. And my flesh is just, my flesh doesn't like this. Now, do you do that kind of thing normally? No. I'm talking about being led specifically by the Holy Spirit. So don't go to the fanciest restaurant in town, order a meal, and then just believe God for the money afterwards. Please don't be dumb. (laughs) I've heard people do that. It wasn't 24 hours later then 13,000 was deposited into our account. On a regular, ongoing basis. 
And so, how's God provided? God's simply provided like this. He's spoken to men and women. And He's put it into their hearts to give. We've had some people give to us who don't even really know us. They just said, uh, I really feel when I met you like God's told me to give you something. Great. 13,000, 20,000. I'm thinking, God does provide everything. But you know what? He doesn't provide it while you're sitting with your safety belt on nicely in church every Sunday. And that's all you do. So if you and I are going to walk, which is the word of the Lord to us today, I believe, you've got to walk somewhere. You've got to walk towards your dream. You see, God puts something inside of your heart that He wants you to do, and it's unique to you. So when you find your purpose, start walking in it. And that's a whole separate thing by itself. I just want to mention one or two things that's been happening. With the Anything is Possible Foundation, we left His people, we stepped out and I said, Lord, I'm asking the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow us where you want us to go. The wind of the Holy Spirit that blew in Acts still blows today. Every single person I come up against since that time are Afrikaans from the Ingea Church background. And Hiri Soti would know Zubiki Afrikaans would be a prop. And it's been amazing. First seminar we run, one guy came from Marmersbury, which is about 80 kilometers away, a real Afrikaans town. And when he was finished, he went back to his Dumini and he said, Dumini ons moet hierdie man in Marmersbury kry. For those of you who said, uh, we've got to get Gavin to Marmersbury. So I go there and I've got to meet the whole Sunuda, the whole Afrikaans in here church thing. And there I am, like a proverbial pork chop in a synagogue. I've got to meet this guy and that guy. And I've got, for the first, and then I get there and they say, won't you come and preach to the church um, and just share your message? I couldn't believe it. I had to, you, know, you know they've got these lifted up. So there I am. I tell you what, I felt so awkward. I felt like a storm as it lofted. us. I, I was standing on the side there, looking over, and I've got to, I'm telling people, and it's amazing, no one clapped, no one put up their hands. It was like preaching to statues. It was unbelievable. Long story short, we got to tell them about destiny, and a handful of people got it. And as I'm coming out of the pulpit, I meet the one Dermany. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me clear as a bell. And he says, tell this man that I have told him to leave. His time here is up. And I've got his future covered. Now's the time to jump. These guys don't believe in the prophetic anything. But... And so I got him and then he pulls me aside into the... It's a funny room, Steve. It's called the consistory. First time I thought he, he said it, I thought he was swearing at me. But it's, it's, it's called a, the, the pastory, or, the, or what do you say? The vestry. So we're in the back, and this guy's crying. And he says he had an experience at Hillsong in Australia. And he, he, he wants to move on, but he doesn't know how. Long story short, eventually he leaves, and the church just attacks him. As he says he's going to leave, I get a phone call from the church saying, you've come here to steal our people. We know you're not going to start a church here. And you this and you that. And from the Mudur Gemeente, from their main thing, they would tell people, watch Evans Wanapul. He's an antichrist. He's being used by the devil. And when I heard that, I just thought to myself, I'm doing something right. I love ticking the religious off. Eh? So France didn't want to go and start a church. He wanted to go and start a, a music ministry. He just had to cut him and his wife, to, uh, uh, the guts to go and do it. 
And so as he goes off, a number of people had left the church already and they said to him, won't you lead us? We've already left. In eight weeks, that, that group of 11 people went over to nearly 350 people. The power of God is flowing. He phones when he says, I've got people falling over. Is that meant to happen? All because one guy heard and chose to walk. One guy heard and chose to walk. Another guy that's been a friend of mine for a while, his name is Leonard van Vank. He's given me permission to tell the story. He was a, a car salesman, very good, but inside of his heart he hated his job. Have you seen people who hate their jobs? In the mirror, perhaps? Anyway, so he really didn't enjoy the job that much. And he was crying out for something more. His passion was spearfishing. He's one of the top spear fishermen in the world. He can dive down 20 meters, hang out there for two, sort of, you know, one and a half, two minutes, find a fish, shoot it, and then kind of swim gradually to the surface. That's unbelievable. He really is fantastic. But now, how can you tie spear fishing into what God wants you to do? Must he come and spear fish in the font when you baptize someone in the... You know, how do you do that? Because when God calls you to do something, isn't it just for praise and worship band, or you can be an usher, or you can be a preacher? God calls you to do so much more outside of this church here. And so he wanted to jump in a box and say, well, maybe I'll just be an usher. I said, but serve in the church, that's good, but don't stay there, please. So he goes along and he does this commercial diving course and he comes first. He does another emergency uh, course on life-saving underwater and he comes first. And it's not too long before he gets his first contract. He goes to Angola. So before he goes out, he comes over to my place. I equip him once a week. We pray together. I lay hands on him and then he goes out. He comes back from Angola six weeks later and he says, Gavin, I think I might have made a mistake. And I said, why? He said, they are the roughest bunch of guys you, won't, you can ever imagine. Pornography is playing all the time because they're on an oil rig way off, offshore. There's fights, there's swearing. And as he's talking to me like this, I hear the Holy Spirit say, say to me, tell Leonard he was not called to be a commercial diver, but a missionary to commercial divers. And so I started to equip him to do the thing he was designed to do in a very different way. Now every time he comes down, I'll meet him at the mug and bean with two or three divers from all around the world. I've got to tell you about Kubis. Kubis is an Afrikaans guy, you might have picked it up. And he comes to, uh, he, he comes to one of our seminars... And it's not too long before he hears that the foundation I've started is called the Anything is Possible Foundation. And so he comes to me and he says, do you really think anything is possible? So I said, absolutely. Because all my seminars, please understand, my seminars are all secular. In the sense that everything I do in the Anything is Possible Foundation is aimed at people not like you. People who don't go to church who aren't saved. So everything I teach is the Bible, I just don't tell them it's the Bible. A great rabbi once said, you know, Middle Eastern wisdom declares. And so from life coaching to motivational, it's all the Bible, but I do it in a way that normal people can relate to it. So companies employ me to work with their management. They've got no idea, they've just hired their own pastor. Because, the, you see, these, the, why am I doing that? 
Why didn't I stay in the church where it was only going to get better? Because someone's got to take the church to people who won't go to church. And as long as you stay there saying, I don't know enough, it's not going to happen. So Kubis comes along to this thing, and I still, I'm not overtly Christian out there, so he says, Does ever, do you believe anything's possible? So I can't say, I believe God, with God all things are possible. So I said, absolutely, I believe it. And he shakes his head, so I said, why do you battle believing that? And he tells me a story, how two years ago, he was, on a, he was a site foreman at a construction site. And the day he went along with a packet full of money to pay the workers, he went into the container, they kind of, the container forms their office on the site, and three guys come in wearing overalls, and they put a gun right into his mouth. They take the money, and with the one hand, the guy, the, the, the criminal's got his gun in Kubis's mouth, other hand's on a cell phone. And the cell phone's loud enough so Kubis can hear what the other person's saying. And the criminal's speaking to his boss, and he says to his boss, we've got the money, I've got a couple of people here, what do you want me to do? And he hears the boss says, Skito, makom do it. Shoot him, kill him. Next thing that happens is, click. It doesn't go off. There was some shouting outside and the guys ran off. He went for counseling afterwards and he said, no, he's fine. About three or four weeks later, he suddenly passes out. Post-traumatic stress hits him terribly. The next six months to a year after that, his life became a living hell. Marriage broke down. His relationship with his son Vickers broke down. And it got to a place where he had already written a suicide letter. I've read the letter. And he says, please forgive me for taking Wanda's life and Vickers' life. But I can't leave them in a world like this. Suicides, where people actually go through a suicide, it's always a well-planned thing. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. That was on a Monday he did it. That weekend, for some other reason, he was going to do it then. That Wednesday, he happened to come to the course. He said, could, could, uh, and then he said to me, he doesn't believe anything's possible because he's never got past this anger. He says, I'm so angry and I'm so terrified. His hands are shaking. So I said to him, can I come and see you tomorrow night? I went along, his son Vickers was in bed, his wife Wanda was out playing hockey, and we're talking, and it's not too long now, he's a typical Afrikaans guy. He doesn't cry. Tough, you know, the typical type of South African guy. And as I'm listening to his story, I just said to him, why are you so angry at God? For me it was like an exploratory question. You know, see where this leads. The next moment he starts crying. And the only way I can describe it is like aircon got switched on. You could feel the atmosphere in the room changed dramatically. And he starts to cry like a baby. And after about a half an hour of crying, and I'm still, I'm still there kind of, I can sense God's presence. I'm not even sure what's happening with him. Wanda, his wife, comes home. She opens the front door. She doesn't know I'm there. She turns around, closes it, and her hand's still on the doorknob, and she stops. And she starts to cry and she falls on her knees. The presence of God filled that lounge. His life was dramatically transformed. A couple of days later I saw him and he, he was bald. I said, what have you done? 
You can become Hare Krishna. You're going to some, you know what? He said, I've shaved my hair off because as it grows back, it's going to be symbolic of my new life. He says to me, I want you to tell me what my purpose is. So I helped him. His passion is working with boys, taking them away on camps. That's what his overwhelming passion is. So he joins a particular Afrikaans church not too far where he's staying. And after they've got to know him for a number of months, guess what the big need is? They need someone to look after the teenage boys and the younger boys. It's his absolute passion. And it all happened because Kubis chose to walk. My time is nearly, in fact, my time is up. I'm going to have to close soon. Right, okay. Now, there's so many things. Uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Okay. Um, remember I told you the wind of the Holy Spirit just blow? Sometimes, I'll, one morning I woke up, got dressed, and I said, oh, I'm busy getting dressed, and I said, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And he says, get dressed quite smartly, I'm sending people. So I got dressed, sitting in the lounge, and the bell goes, the airphone. And the guy says, hi, um, you don't know me, my name is X, Y, and Z, but friends of ours went to your seminar last week, and they said, we can come and talk to you. When they came in and spoke, and they left, another three people came after that, throughout the day. God sends people, see when you walk, when you start walking towards the thing that's your passion, when you simply start to trust God. Tonight, I want to talk about how to develop the guts to go. One man jumps out of the boat, other 11 disciples stayed. What made him jump? Do you want to jump or do you want to stay in the boat? And so, another time the wind blows... And a friend phones, I don't even know him too well, and this friend says, won't you come meet me for an early supper? So I go to meet him, and he said, look, I've got another guy joining us. I thought you might like to meet him. And his name is Paul True. If you don't know who that is, he's the coach for the Springbok Sevens. And so he and I just happened to connect. And he says to me, you know what, why don't you come and talk, come and talk to the squad? Let's motivate them. Because I operate as a motivational speaker and as a, as a life coach. I've just taken the title pastor, put it down, put a new one on because it, it oils doors you won't believe. And so I go along to speak to the squad. Two weeks later he phones and he says, Would you please submit a formal proposal to SA Rugby? We'd like you to become our official life coach for the Springbok Sevens. Just because I was walking. Who am I? No, so I travelled with them last year because we won the World, uh, World Series last year. We're not doing well at all this year. But we get to Murrayfield where we're going to, and I'm in the tunnel. The Springboks, uh, the Sevens are over here, the All Blacks, the, the, the New Zealand sides are over here, and I'm in the tunnel and I'm thinking, I know a million men who would give their eye teeth to be here, and it's me. That <laughs> was unbelievable. When you walk, God will take you to places you never imagined. And it was so funny, because I get to the hotel and I'm thinking, am I going to be put in a room on the side? And how does this whole thing work? Well, I have to share a room with someone quiet. You know, you're not really part of the side. I get there and I could give them my key. I go up to my room and there's, you know, New Zealand rugby coach, Fijian coach, Springbok coach. Then it says, Springbok life coach. <laughs> I whipped up my camera, took photographs of the door. <laughs> If you just dare to walk, God will take you places. Will it be scary? It'll scare the something out of you that I won't mention because Steve told me not to. <laughs> 
My Christianity has become an absolute adventure. Um, so I would go to companies now and I'll say to them, listen, can we, um, you know, this is what I offer. I want to offer a life coaching. I'll develop, I'll develop your people for you. You develop their skills in the, in the business you're in and, and I'll develop them. And so for six months I was working with a, a management team of about eight managers. And two of them end up leaving and two of them end up getting born again. And long story short, so much happened that two Friday mornings ago, the MD of the company phoned and he said, um, I don't know if you know it, but I'm a Christian. And what I want you to do, I want to offer you a position as pastor of our company. I'd like you to join us. How much time do you have in the month? We would like to buy some of your time. I want you to be the pastor of our company as a life coach. So now all of the management I get to see one-on-one. Now please don't dare sit there and say, Oh, have you heard about Gavin? Oh, he's so anointed. I am just a Christian just like you. I'm not here as a pastor today or some super guru. I'm, I'm doing what you should be doing as well. Now my passion is helping people find their purpose. Your passion could be art. Your passion could be starting an electrical company. Your passion could be being a housewife or being a politician. It doesn't matter where. But you know what? You're meant to take the church to where you are. You see, you've heard people say, take the gospel out. You're meant to be a preacher of the gospel, you know, the Great Commission. How many of you have heard that? And straight away, the picture that comes to your mind is, well, I've got to go to my, my business and I've got to start preaching to them. And so we typically start by saying, my friend... Have you met Jesus? And people just think, and they run away. Or you think to yourself, I could never do that. I'm meant to preach to my staff the way preachers from this pulpit preach. You're not meant to do it that way. Find the thing that you love doing most. And when you do it, it comes naturally. About 70% of people that I lead to the Lord, and every week, this is not an exaggeration, every week, just I lead over three people to the Lord every week on average. Most of them, I don't approach them, they approach me. I use a a restaurant to meet clients, and it's not too long before the owner of this restaurant came to me and he said, "What what are you doing here all the time? So I said, well, I'm a life coach, I meet people, I help them find their purpose, and he said, great, can you help me? So we, he's got a boardroom attached to it, quite a fancy boardroom. So he said, would you like to use this as your office? So now I've got an office for free. And sometimes I'll be sitting in the restaurant talking with someone, and when this person gets up to go, this happened just recently, two women sitting at a table right next to us get up and say, please don't go, can you talk to us too? Because when you go to people and say, can I help you find your purpose in life? Everyone says yes. I've even got Muslims that are clients of mine. Because when you go to someone and ask them two questions, do you know what your purpose is? Can I help you find it? They say yes. Great, can I take you for coffee? There's a lot more. Anything else you want me to touch on? One, um, one last thing and then we finished 
I got a phone call from the Kenridge School. It's a school in Durbanville, quite a well-known school. And they've got an aftercare. And the aftercare there said, won't you please come and do motivational sessions with our staff? And um, so I thought, aftercare, how many people could it be? Maybe 30 kids, two teachers. Long story short, it turns out to be 560 kids and 23 full-time teachers. On the last day of my sessions with them, we went away for the night. And... um, at the last session, I just had this overwhelming sense to challenge them with the gospel. So I stood on the carpet. There was a carpet in the middle of this big lounge. And I challenged them just like a proper altar call. I said, if you want to get born again, come onto this carpet right now. Don't close your eyes. Nineteen ended up getting born again. Most of them would never, ever have gone to church. If the church doesn't grow, it's not because of your, your leaders. What about finding people in your life and just finding out what their needs are and going to serve them? Just go and help them. So in conclusion, walk. I know you, leaders have been speaking to you about finding your purpose and your dream. Tonight I want to show you how to get the guts to go because it's when you do that the power of God and everything this thing speaks about comes to you and you'll begin to walk in it. Amen. Won't you stand? Would you stand please? Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for the opportunity of standing on such holy ground this morning, speaking to your precious people. God, I ask that this would not just be another sermon. I ask that this would be a watershed moment. I ask that you would release a spirit of supernatural faith and courage such as this church has never seen or known before. I ask that you would nudge them and empower them to walk into their destiny. Father, we first see your purpose for our life at a distance, but it only comes closer as we walk towards it. I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would release from heaven today the gift of faith that men and women who have been the so-called normal Christians would walk through fear and be the agents through which your kingdom comes to Durban. Every idea, every inspired thought, every dream these people have had that you have put into their hearts God, may they have the courage to act on it. Won't you take this church to another level where they would begin to walk out that which they know? Amen.
Amen. Thanks, Gav. Thanks for that word. And uh, Gav will be sharing tonight. Those of you who can come out, have a great day. Enjoy your lunch.